our guest, one of my absolute favorite people in the world. This is Dr. Peter Williams. Now, Peter is the warden, uh, which is, uh, is that still your title? No. Um, Grand Poobah. Uh, uh, he is, uh, uh, let's see, Lord High Muckety Muck. Um, uh, he is, he is the, the leader um, of, of a group that is considered by me to be the academic leader in evangelical world thought. And, and some people may contest that, but it's my opinion, and I'm sticking with it. And Peter has done more. He's just put out a, another Greek New Testament. Um, he, they, have just under his oversight and hard work, have just published another Greek New Testament. This one has got a, a dictionary for those of us who can't remember the Greek word for grumbling, which will be, it's some gong, 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 gong type word, but I'm sure it's in here somewhere. Uh, it's going to be relevant today, although I think the Luke 15 form has dia in front of it, dia, but uh, is it in here, Peter? Okay, alpha, beta, gamma, delta, alpha, beta, gamma, gong, 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 gong. It's in here, but I'm going to waste time finding it. So instead, I'm going to have you welcome Peter Williams. You are over here. I am over here. Oh, you're going to look it up. It's alpha, beta, gamma, delta. You do that, and I'll, I'll look up the hard one, Luke 15. We're going to talk about Luke 15 today. And you say, what's Luke 15? Well, gong, 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 gongudzo. There it is. Uh, yeah, grumble, complain, murmur, mutter. What a book. Okay, we know that word because we were reading Philippians here and we learned to do all things without grumbling. Um, grumbling is one of the chief sins of the wilderness. Okay, can y'all see the screen? So we will go to... 15. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing nearer to him. And the Pharisees grumbled. Gong, 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 gudzo. Although I think it's the whatever. This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. Now we're going to see here three parables of Jesus. These are, I call these the three lost and found department parables. Here's parable number one. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, doesn't leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? Okay. Got that? That's part one of the parable. And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. That's part two of the parable. And then when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, and he tells them, rejoice with me. I found my sheep that was lost. Just so there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents 
than 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And that's the last part of the parable. Got it? Okay, parable number two. Lost and found number two. What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, doesn't light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently till she finds it? Now, my wife this morning lost her cell phone, and she worked desperately hard to find it. But she did not find it because when I left the house, I took it with me <laughs> by accident and couldn't call her and tell her because when I tried to call her, it just kept ringing in my pocket. <laughs> Unlike this woman who loses one coin, does not light a lamp. She sweeps the house and seeks diligently until she finds it. So she's lost a coin. That's our first part. Seeks till she finds it. When she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, I found the coin that was lost. And, just so, there's more joy. Joy before the angels over one sinner who repents. You got it? Third lost and found parable. This one you probably know, but I think it... Um, do we need to read the whole thing to kind of get to it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. So this is setting the parable up. We've shifted from one fella and one woman to one man with two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Pater, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property. He divided his property. Let's see if I can make this work. Between them. Now, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and he squandered his property in reckless living. I knew a judge one time, and the judge had the, this is in Deep Woods, East Texas, and the judge had some elders of the church come to him and say that their preacher had disappeared, and when their preacher disappeared, so had their building fund. And the judge said, do you want me to try and get law to find him? Oh no, we know where it is, where he is. You want law to try and get the building fund back? It's a true story. Fella, the, the elder said, no, we, we know about the building fund. He said he spent it on wine and women, and the rest of it he just wasted. <laughs> it's a true story. So this man squandered his property in reckless living, and when he'd spent everything... A severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. Not a good Jewish job. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, 
He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I'm perishing here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Pater, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. That's actually in the Greek, a day laborer. Uh, it's less than a slave. Slaves at least had job security. Day laborers could be dismissed at once. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But before the son could finish his speech and ask to be a day servant, the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, put shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf, that's veal, and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and said, what's going on? And the servant said, your brother's come. Your father killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But when he was angry and refused to go in, his father came out to him and begged him. But he answered his father, look, I've been serving you all these years. I never disobeyed your command and you never even gave me a baby goat. No cabrito that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, not my brother, this son of yours, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. The dad said to him, son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad because this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And those are the three lost and found parables that we're going to talk about this morning. Now, Peter, I'm going to ask you, what draws your interest to these parables? Well, lots of things. They're simply amazing, and they work at multiple levels. So they are um, Jesus' longest story, 388 words long, is the parable of the two sons. Um, and it's also, it works with, if you don't know, have any background culturally, you basically get the idea. Um, at the same time, the audience we've got is tax collectors and sinners, so people collaborating with Romans uh, to get money and sinners who are in some formal breach of, uh, of Jewish law, and then Pharisees who define themselves by separating uh, from unrighteousness, and scribes who spend their time copying out the Bible. And Jesus tells a story that not only will hit and speak to those who don't have a particular religious background, but also for those who 
copy out the Bible, he's put in loads of things, like a Pixar movie, if you like, uh, where there are things there for the adults as well as for the kids, and there's lots of that going on. So that's uh, one of the things I'm excited about. So we've got tax collectors and sinners. Mm -hmm. We've got Pharisees, and those are the Holy Joes. Yep. It's blurry. Thank you. We've got the Holy Joes. We've got the scribes. They spend their life writing, including the text, the Torah. They're legal specialists of sorts. And who is our fourth audience? Well, we've got tax collectors and sinners and being sinners. two different so ones. So just, I combine sinners it. are like a counterpart to Pharisees. Uh, they're in formal breach or, or, or not. And the tax collectors spend their time you know, writing about uh, money and uh, Pharisees. Uh, scribes copy out the Bible, so they're writing Bible. Joes. Okay, so we've got unholy Joes to counter the holy Joes, and we've got tax writers who give and receipts. Some of the scribes would have also done financial transactions as well. I mean, that's yeah. what, what you do. So they're, they're like the good and the bad guys, supposedly. Yeah. Okay, so the audience you like. Now, I'm going to set this back up so that we see the setup. The tax collectors and the sinners are all drawing near to hear Jesus. And Jesus is not sending them away, but is, heavens, he eats with them. The Pharisees and the scribes grumble. What's the significance to you of grumble? Grumble is what the Israelites do in the desert, and hearing is obviously what Israel's supposed to do. They're supposed to, every day, the prayer, hear Shema Yisrael. That's the one. Yeah. Um, and there's also the drawing near bit is really interesting because you get a lot of near and far here. The older brother comes near. The uh, father sees from afar. Um, that's, that's all going on, sometimes a bit topsy-turvy because the brother's not very emotionally close. Okay, so what I'd like to do, in addition to the audience for a moment, let's see if I can make this fit a little easier. In addition to the audience, I want to talk about the power of the story itself. What, what to you is the significance that Jesus speaks over and over in parables? So I think stories are very powerful and they both reveal and hide. Um, so I think the very last verse of the previous chapter is let the one who has ears to hear, hear. And there is this sense that it's an invitation. People are going to hear that and they're going to think, wow, I can come back to the Father God. They're going to feel that. At the same time, there are those who uh, may be put off. And, and it's a very divisive thing. Okay, so one of the, the things that I do uh, in the practice of law is I, I do a seminar. Some of you have actually been to it. Um, but I do a seminar each year where I teach lawyers how to try cases. And one of the... the core ideas I teach them is to tell stories. Uh, you know, you can take one of the most um, popular movies of all time is the Titanic. One of the most non-watched TV shows of all time was a PBS special on the Titanic. Now think about it. It's the same boat. It's the same iceberg, and it's the same consequence. But the movie was captivating because it told a story. And in a story, you can identify with characters, and you can find yourself in it. When a factual dissertation just tends to be dry. So I teach people 
the power of a story. And one of the things is not only does it reveal and hide, but people identify with a story. And a story will bypass your natural defenses oftentimes. So, for example, when David's sinned with Bathsheba and Uriah and you've got that whole mess and God sends the prophet Nathan to confront Dan, David, he doesn't confront him simply by saying, hey, you sinned against God and he's mad. Instead, Nathan tells him a story about a man who has one sheep and it's like the family pet and, and a man who's got a bunch of sheep comes and, and David hears the story and he's enraged. What man would do that? Bring him to me. I, he deserves death. And that's when Nathan springs the, the gotcha and says, well, actually, that was just a story about you. Uh, you're the guy. Um, I, I love this because I find myself in these stories. All right. You are someone who is a wizard at finding multiple layers. So this story makes sense to the tax collectors and sinners, and they've got to be feeling pretty good mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. um, but these scribes and specialists in the Old Testament are going to read this on a whole, hear this mm -hmm. on a whole different level. Open up some of those other levels for us. Yeah, so I think at first they, they like the way the story is going uh, because they like the fact that this son who's turned away from his father is ending up in a bad place. They like the fact that not only has he gone away, but there's a famine. Uh, and so <laughs> that just aggravates the, the problem and he ends up feeding pigs and thinking, yeah, that's really great. That's what he deserves to get. Um, and a lot of the, uh, the challenge to them comes later on. So in the back 38% of the story, which is about the older brother, um, where actually you see that it's all about them. So I think Jesus turns the table on them. Um, and you notice how the younger son, uh, he, every time he addresses his father, he calls him father. Whether it's in his mind, three times we've got it, or two in his face, he calls him father. The older brother says, look, all these years. There's no, and it's those sort of subtle details you get going on. And what does the father do when the younger son asks um, him to divide things? Well, actually, he... he Oh, he says, give me the share of inheritance. He's not asking for his brother. But the father's really fair. He divides the inheritance. Now, you don't know what country to imagine this story in, but if it's in uh, Jewish law, the older brother gets double. And if you're thinking of this as an estate, uh, a farm, well, you don't divide farms in any country. You, you, so the older brother's going to get the whole farm and, and the younger brother's just going to get his share of liquid assets. So uh, in that sense, the older brother does really, really well and he's obviously a hard-working brother as well. And that's what he's doing in the field. And Jesus tells the, the uh, story with an extreme economy when he just says the older brother's in the field. He doesn't say he's out working, but that's what you automatically infer. He, he says um, that the younger brother got a job with one of the citizens of that country, which it really rubs in that he's a non-citizen and doesn't have the rights. And so all these uh, little choices of words Jesus got really very amazing in the story. But what you also see is that he's telling this story to scribes. Now, scribes are men to copy out the Bible, and they know the Bible really well, particularly the first five books, particularly probably the first book, Genesis, very popular to copy out. Copy out. And there's one place in the Bible uh, where they, ha they have to learn to put special signs on, and one of them is in Genesis uh, chapter 33 and verse 4. And you ask, when is the only time in the entire Bible when someone runs embraces 
and kisses someone, well, we could probably turn to that and do some highlighting because it's pretty exciting when you find out the answer because they're basically going through a concordance in their mind and thinking, what on earth is going on? Um, and it's, it's really pretty stunning uh, that where Jesus gets this detail from. All right, so let's go to Genesis chapter 33. And this is the story. This is not my friend today. This is the story of uh, Jacob and Esau. Now, you'll recall, Jacob has tricked his dad into giving him the birthright, the inheritance rights of his older brother. Jacob's the younger brother. The younger brother tricks dad, gets the older brother's inheritance. Older brother is really angry and looking to kill the younger brother. So mama sends younger brother with his goods out of the country. Into a far country. Into a far country. And in the far country, uh, the younger brother prospers instead of uh, falls apart. Now, it's this younger brother in the far country who prospered after wrongly getting the inheritance and tricking his dad into it, who is the descent, uh, progenitor of the Pharisees. They are children of Jacob, not of Esau. So that's their lineage. They're proud of their lineage. Jacob wrestles with God. God changes his name from trickster, in essence, to um, Israel. And it comes time for brother to come back and meet older brother. Last time he left, he left having stolen his brother's birthright and inheritance rights. And now he's coming back to the brother that was going to try to kill him. And Jacob lifted his eyes lifted up his eyes and looked and behold Esau was coming and he had 400 men with him that's an army so Jacob divided his children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants and he put the servants with their children in front <laughs> let let them be slaughtered first then Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all. That's not a fair thing to say. He may not have been thinking that, but uh, some scholars, including old Jewish scholars, thought he was. And then he himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. As he comes near, Esau runs to meet him, embraces him, falls on his neck and kissed him, and together they wept. So I think this is really astounding because Esau is usually a bad guy in the Old Testament. He's been cheated out of everything by his younger brother, and here he is forgiving him. And so it's really saying to the scribes and the Pharisees who don't want tax collectors and sinners to be accepted by Jesus, to be accepted by God, and they're worried that a little bit of their inheritance is going to be uh, carved off. It, it really is a challenge to them. Even bad guy Esau forgave Jacob, and here you are grumbling about people having access to God. So I think it's a very challenging thing. 
And there are other parts of that story uh, that are echoed. So obviously the, the, the younger brother's gone off into a far country. He's herded animals. Um, it's reversed in the sense that one goes off with nothing and comes back with everything. Uh, and in the New Testament, it goes off with everything, comes back with nothing. Um, even the words that you, you, you get uh, there, the younger brother saying, here I am starving, I'm going to die of hunger. That's, of course, what Esau said just before. Um, he, he, when he came in and uh, Jacob had the soup already, he said, I'm dying of hunger. What use is the birthright to me? So it's a very deep challenge. And that's just one layer. Yeah. So if you continue to look at the story in, in, um, of, of the two sons, where do you find, because it's, it's not simply that one reference, that one thread of, of Genesis that's brought through. You've got multiple threads. Yep. Show us more of the Genesis stories or tell us where to look. So um, you remember how the older brother says, all these years I've been working for you and so on. Well, has anyone in the Bible ever got angry with someone before and said that they've worked really hard for someone? Yes, it's when J Jacob in Genesis chapter 31 gets upset with Laban and says, you know, I had to work 20 years uh, for um, your daughter. So if you like, that's uh, Genesis 31. And uh, we, we can find a bit in, of him getting angry in uh, verse um, 36, but the best bit is 38. These 20 years I've been with you, and, and so on. So what you find is uh, it's, uh, again, a bit of a reversal uh, there. There's a lot of the Laban uh, uh, language there. So uh, just as the older brother says, he's devoured, eaten up your property with um, uh, prostitutes, the Laban's daughters have said he's devoured our livelihoods. Just as the, the father says, all that um, I have is yours, Laban says to Jacob, all that you see is mine. Um, and uh, Laban says, I wanted to send you off with music and dancing, just as we had the music and dancing here. So there's lots and lots of that uh, leveling. And at the very least, Laban got ripped off of most of his wealth, and he still came to a peace treaty. So that's just another layer, but there are a few more. So... Jesus is, is telling these stories, and, and there are three stories, and I love the way they tie together mm -hmm. internally within themselves. So if you look at the three lost and found stories, let me see if I can make it make sense. Story number one. Story number one is the, the parable of the lost sheep. So here in the lost sheep, you've got one out of a hundred, Right? You got a man who finds it, seeks it after seeking, right? And then you've got the party with the implication for the heavenly rejoicing. All right, that's story one. Now story two, lost coin. Now you're just one out of 10. So you went from being a 1% lost and found to a 10% lost and found. Uh, that's, that's more significant. You got a woman here, so you've crossed the gender line and she finds it after seeking. And then you've got the party with the rejoicing in heaven. All right? Now the story escalates. Then we hit three, 
the lost son. But look at the contrast. First of all, this is one out of two. So we're now up to 50% lost. Furthermore, nobody finds him. He comes to his own senses. The brother's not out looking for him. At least the dad sees him coming from afar. So the dad's out there wishing, I'm sure, in the story to see his son. But you, you've got, the, the brother's not out there looking for him at all. And then there's a party and rejoicing. But in all of this, the son is missing. The brother won't even call him a brother. And I, I love the way these stories fit one to the next. Just bam, 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 and seem to mm. escalate in significance. Um, what, what are some ties you see internally within these three stories? So first thing, sheep gets lost going away. Coin gets lost at home. Then you have a final story with two lost beings. Son number one, or the younger son, lost going away, and the other son, uh, he's at home. And he's not explicitly called lost, but he clearly is. And the story doesn't have an ending. It doesn't tell you how the older brother responds to the father who's come out to beg him, because it's an invitation. It, and, and what you realize is, look, if the shepherd rejoiced over the um, sheep that were, got lost by going away, and the woman rejoiced by the, finding the coin that was lost not by going away, therefore, by implication, if we were to fill in the end of the story, the story goes, if the son at home is found, there's going to be great rejoicing. So I think it's a very powerful thing there. Okay, so let's take this story on, on another level now. Uh, and I want to I explore some more of the parallels between what Jesus is able to do in this story. My monitor down here is not working, so y'all excuse me for craning my neck back, but I can't see if you can see what I'm writing. Um, so let, let's put up here the Luke 15 stories, and let's put up here the Old Testament echoes. Yep. So you've given us uh, a, a clear echo uh, between Jacob and Esau and the, the running and kissing. But there are more. Yeah, so Genesis 41, 42. Everyone knows what that is. Yeah, Genesis 41, 42. Is that uh, Jacob and the... This, uh, this is Joseph now. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah that's right. That's so you've right. only got two rags to riches, sudden rags to riches stories in the Bible. One is this one in Luke 15. The other one is when Joseph is in prison, gets brought out before Pharaoh. Uh, that goes well. Uh, and uh, then we get uh, Genesis uh, 41, verse 42. I don't know whether you want to highlight or I'll yeah, read it out. Yeah, 41, 41 42. 42. So uh, let's see. Here we go. About right here. Pharaoh takes his signet ring from his hand, puts it on Joseph's hand, clothes him in garments of fine linen, puts a gold chain around his neck, so makes him ride in his second chariot. So you've got that parallel with the ring and the robe, 
But it's not just that. This is the only other son in the Bible who his father thought was dead. Dead and alive again. Lost and is found. And of course, where do you get a great famine elsewhere in the Bible? That also echoes the story of Joseph. So all of those things come together. Now, what would happen with Joseph? He had a lot to forgive his brothers from. They had tried to sell him. And yet, he did forgive them. So if you think about the story of Esau and Jacob, Esau forgave Jacob. If you think about the story of Joseph and his brothers, Joseph forgave his brothers. And here are the scribes and Pharisees grumbling. So it's a, again, it's a very powerful thing. Okay. We've got more echoes of the Old Testament here. Yeah. So, so I want you to, to talk to us about uh, the fatted calf. So... Who's the only other old guy in the Bible who runs? It's Abraham. Genesis chapter 18, along come three visitors, and 18 verse 2, he runs. And then uh, he uh, gets the food ready. And this is what happens in 18 verse 6. Maybe you want to get Genesis 18 yeah, verse yeah, 6. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's do some highlighting pretty here. Pretty chart. Because it's getting pretty fun. Yeah, okay, hold on. I messed up my pretty chart. Dad runs... First guy to run in the Bible. So if you're Genesis a scribe, 18. this is the first time you copy the uh, verb uh, run. Genesis 18 and What's the Hebrew uh, let's go verb for verse for 6 run. and 7. Roots. Like Just, our word run. Yeah. Okay. 18 verse 7. 6 and 7. All right. Let's go back to 18. Uh, pop it a little higher. Um, Lord appears to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre. He sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. Lifts up his eyes, three men standing in front of him. He sees them. He ran from the tent door to meet them. He bows himself to earth, says, O oh Lord, if I found favor in your sight, don't pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought. Wash your feet, rest yourselves while I bring a morsel of bread that you can refresh yourself. And they say, do as you said. So then he runs quickly to the tent to Sarah and says, hurry up, make it. Then he runs to the herd and he takes a calf, tender and good. So we've got a calf, a young calf, tender and good, a fatted calf. And he gives it to the young man who prepares it quickly. And we've got run three times here. And the very first word that um, Abraham barks to Sarah is quick. Remember, that's, that, it doesn't come out in the ESV. It's the very first word that the father says to the servants, quick, bring the fatted calf. It's the very first time any scribe copies the word quick. So there's lots uh, to go on there. And what does Abraham say? He says, quick, three seers of, or three measures of fine flour. That turns up in Jesus' shortest parable, Matthew 13, verse 33, which is about a woman who gets yeast and puts it in three measures or three seers of fine flour. So we know Jesus was thinking about <laughs> this particular text. And so it all comes together there. All right. Um, uh, Dad runs quick. Now, tell me why the Abraham story would be significant to echo in the story that Jesus gives here? Well, firstly, it's the first feasting in the Bible, the first hosting in the Bible. And because Abraham hosts God when he doesn't know it's God, Abraham is put in charge of the heavenly feast. And this is all in the context of Jesus eating with people. Good idea to host people. But there's a bit more because Abraham is also the only other person the only father who gives away his inheritance while he's still alive. Remember, a man had two sons. The first person in the Bible to have two and only two sons is Isaac, okay, who has Esau and Jacob. 
A man had two sons, the first person famously to have two sons, well, there's Adam, but there's also Abraham, who has contrasting Isaac and Ishmael. And in Genesis 25, we find that Ishmael gets nothing, uh, but Abraham gives away his inheritance entirely to Isaac while he's still alive. Okay. And a bit more there. Yeah, which keep is, going. Why does only Isaac get it? Well, uh, in Genesis 21, when a- Abraham makes a feast, a big feast on the day when Isaac is weaned. So he makes a feast for his younger of the two sons. So Ishmael's a bit older, Isaac's a bit younger, and uh, the feast is for the younger brother. And then what happens is we see that the older brother, Ishmael, is despising the feast for the younger brother. And that's the point when Sarah gets a bit annoyed and says, he ain't going to inherit. So there's a bit of a warning there. If you want to despise the feast for the younger brother, you might lose your inheritance. And if you're a scribe and a Pharisee and you think you can just ignore these tax collectors and sinners and despise them, you know what? You're going to lose your inheritance. So I think there's a lot going yeah, on Yeah, you thought it was getting diluted. It may get diluted to nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Uh, the fatted calf, though. Mm-hmm. Give us an Old Testament analogy to the fatted calf or echo. So we have, I suppose, Saul has a fatted calf. Uh, yeah. At one time of 28. I don't go with that one. No. Uh, so big, I mean... Calf is obviously bigger than goat. The guy is complaining he has no goat. He has no goat. Give us the goat echo. Well, goats goats are really, they come up in some pretty funny places in the Bible. Um, But there's only one other place in the entire Bible where a goat, friend, and prostitutes come up together. Uh, That's in Genesis 38. Before we go on to that, think what this older brother is doing. The older brother has not yet seen his younger brother, and yet he's absolutely certain what he's been up to. The younger brother has not been sending back postcards from the brothel, okay? So in other words, there's only one source of information for the older brother, namely his imagination. And he complains, all these years I've slaved for you, you never gave me a young goat. Well, have they been vegetarian at the farm the whole time? It doesn't make any sense. But it's a young goat so that I could eat with my friends. You see, what the older brother wants is he doesn't just want the meat, he wants the meat with his friends. Who's on the guest list? The friends. Who's not on the guest list? The The father. Oh, the father as well, yeah. He wants to eat it away. He wants to have his celebration. So whereas the shepherd invites friends and neighbors, the woman invites friends and neighbors, the, the father kills the big fatted calf, which you need a village to eat, he wants a goat, young goat, with his friends. And so he actually wants to be away from his father. So whereas the younger brother, although he's been physically distant, has always thought of him as father. This older brother, who's been physically close, doesn't think of him as father. He wants him dead. All right. On that wonderful note. Um, we talked in Philippians. Uh, let's see where my pen is on this. We talked about the difference in some ways between the Greco-Roman world and the Jewish world, especially when it came to expressions of society and friendship. And you'll recall Paul making a really big deal out of the gift and, and, and gift giving and receiving was one of the first hallmarks of a friendship in the Greco-Roman world, okay? In the Jewish world, it was dining together. 
And the Jewish world was one that was very tightly wound up with issues of honor and shame. And to dine with someone was to indicate that you considered them your peer or your equal. It was one where you vouched for them and they vouched for you. Uh, it makes the Luke 14 passage so significant, the parable that Jesus told before this in Luke 14, which was the parable of the feast, where the, the man invites everybody to come to the feast and, and, and he invites first his, his peers and the way they did a feast back then, you would do an invitation that would go out uh, for a planned feast like that. And, and it would say, hey, this weekend uh, coming up, uh, we're going to have a big feast. Would you come join us? And people would have RSVP'd and said yes. And they didn't have a watch that told them what time to come. It would be a question of when everything was, the meat was butchered, the, the cooking was was within vision of when it was going to be done and then a messenger would go out and say hey you know the weekend party is going to start in two hours get yourself ready to go or three hours or four hours and so the man sends the the vips uh uh the the messages messengers and says come come on and then everybody's response is one of oh gee i can't come i uh just got some new oxen i gotta plow the field you know gotta get them trained or i just bought a new field you know how that goes and then the best excuse of all my wife won't let me and uh, uh you know i just been married i should say and and so the man i mean you you don't say call the caterer and change the food number and the, the man's gone to great lengths to prepare this feast the animals have been slaughtered uh, you can't stick them in the freezer for later. And so the, the man's ticked off and he says, you go invite the, the lesser runs. And well, we invited the lesser people and, and they're coming. And, and then he says, but now just go beat the bushes, you know, invite anyone that's out there. And Jesus gives a kingdom expression that says that the, the, the party, the feast, the, 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 the kingdom is not one of the typical merit and aristocracy and honor society people it jesus busts down all levels and says everyone's invited everyone comes to dine because everyone is an equal in the kingdom of heaven at the father's feast so he's just told that story and against the backdrop of that story we get this set of stories where the the scribes and pharisees are grumbling over Jesus hanging with these other people. And, and that honor-shame is a real problem. Now you envelop, if you understand that background, when you look then at the, the, the brother, the older brother, that's, he wants the party with his friends. Those are his peers. His dad's not in the group. His younger brother's not in the group. And, and they're not worthy to be in the group. You know, he, I, I'm still stunned. He keeps calling his brother your son to his father instead of my brother. And so there's, there's a, a lot of honor and shame built into feasting in this parable. And ultimately, Jesus is saying, those of you who think you've got the honor, shame, shame on you. And those of you who bear the shame will get the Father's honor. And that, that whole upside-down nature of the kingdom and of Jesus is so apparent here to me. Mm, absolutely. Striking in the story, isn't it, that the... Uh, son is given the best robe. Well, whose 
is the best robe. There are only two possibilities. It's got to be the older brothers or the fathers. And so he's automatically, visually signaled to everyone, as in this privileged case, he gets the ring. Now, this is pretty risky, because to me, that's a little bit too close to a credit card in terms of that. that uh, like, <laughs> hey, it's a story. I'm not advice. Okay, it's a story. <laughs> Uh-oh, we lost sound for Peter. Test, test, test. So the older brother, uh, the younger brother's also given those uh, shoes, so um, servants don't wear shoes, he, he wears shoes. He's, and he's been thinking, I need to earn my way back. I want to be a hired servant. And the father doesn't put him on probation. He just accepts him fully back straight away, which is just amazing. So... What does this, we've, we've got uh, uh, just a few minutes left. How does this change your life? Well, I think every one of us can fit into one of the categories of the two sons. Either we are um, aware we've done wrong and we're just calling uh, on God's uh, mercy and he's going to accept us back. Or we're thinking we've done right as this older brother is, and we don't think we need God's mercy, and we need to be humble to accept that. So I think that it, it, it speaks to everyone in a powerful way. I, I, I'm also concerned that um, it reminds me of, of the day I was so stunned to read Jesus's expression of concern over the tax collector who smotes his breast on the street and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the Pharisee who's at the corner saying, God, I'm so glad I'm not like that fella over there. And I can remember reading that story one time where I truly had the thought, oh, I'm so glad I'm not like that Pharisee who, who <laughs> was so glad he wasn't like that sinner, you know, because I'm not, I'm much better than that Pharisee. And then I thought, wait a minute, I've just become that Pharisee. And so I, 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 that, that still haunts me as when I read a story like this. And, and I'm worried about which son I am, but I'm also worried about who I am at the start of the story. Am I the Pharisees and the scribes who say, but wait a minute, there should not be forgiveness for that fellow so easily mm -hmm. because we've been doing it right. Yeah. We tithe mint and cumin. If I pick fruit from the tree, I take one of every 10 apples I pick and I take it and tithe it. I've been doing it right. Why are you spending time with the whores and the tax collectors? Jesus, you should be spending time with me. And I look at people who've done wrong and I wonder if I've got a callous heart, if I have ears to hear. Mm -hmm. If I understand the Shema to the depth of there is one God, I'm not God, you're not God, my brothers and sisters aren't God, we are all sinners in the hands of a merciful God. And, and heaven forbid I not forgive those who have wronged me mm. simply because I haven't done such to them. Yeah, I think it's a really uh, challenging story to those who are hard workers. I mean... At one level, that, that older brother was an ideal employee. He would have built up the business. He put in the hours. And those who are um, hardworking can often think that those who have things go wrong 
um, that you know it, that's that's all their fault and they pride themselves on the hard work. It's fascinating to me that Jesus has this in, uh, bit about the famine in this story and this is actually something that people really often miss when they hear the story in a country where you don't have famines and that is that he's not just prodigal he's also unlucky (laughs) he chose the one country to run away to that happened to be hit by a famine Uh, so he he made bad choices and he had bad luck and God and, and Jesus uses both of those in the story and what the older brother, when he thinks of his younger brother, is only in terms of bad choices. So he's very judgmental about why someone is in his position. Mm, wonderful. Well, we are out of time. Uh, I want Peter to, to pronounce a blessing over you. But first, can you join me in saying thank you for him? Um, Peter, Peter has come to the United States for the first time in years because of the COVID travel issues. And he's uh, here on business and emailed me and said, I'm going to be there on business before I commit to doing something on Sunday morning. Uh, uh, do, would you like me in your class? And I, I emailed back and said, only if you'll speak. And so uh, uh, he uh, has been very gracious to give us this time. He's got a, a busy schedule here. But uh, Peter, would you give us a blessing? Uh, and uh, uh, we can stand up and, and receive the blessing and, and then... Uh, class dismissed. Have a good Thanksgiving. Oh, a number of you have asked about our trial. The jury is still deliberating. We have had a week of deliberation. So I go back to Cleveland today to uh, hear them tomorrow. So thank you for your continued prayers and blessed Thanksgiving to you all. Peter. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy and feasting and rejoicing. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now, and forever. Amen. Amen. Happy Thanksgiving, gang.